morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us grace upon grace, and I almost feel like saying it even more, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. And His grace pours on us this morning and shines on us through Philippians chapter 2. The first 11 verses of this chapter gives us some strong exhortation of the Christian life. Be of the same mind. Be humble. Count others as more significant than yourself and look to the interests of others above yourself. But in Paul-like fashion, he never allows us to hear these exhortations without being given um, full throttle Jesus. Be ready. Lots of law, lots of grace, and even more Jesus. The gifts are ready for you this morning, and thank you for tuning us in on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To be help, us, help us be strengthened by God's word this morning, we have with us Pastor Tom Eckstein of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Pastor Eckstein, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Hey, it's great to be back, Brady. Yeah, so tell us about what's going on for yourself and the saints in Jamestown. Well, uh, things are getting better here in North Dakota as far as COVID. Things are uh, opening up more and more, so so that's exciting. And uh, our attendance continues to go up, uh, so so that's great, too. So things are going well. Um, We did have a a recent uh, crisis in our family or loss, our our daughter and her husband lost their their child uh, that was in the womb uh Mm. but we were able to travel to indiana and uh have a funeral for our grandson and and their son and and find great hope uh in jesus so you know as we're going to learn today you know even in the midst of of life's challenges and difficulties we we have certain hope in christ you know and i appreciate you you mentioning that first of all my condolences to uh to you and to your dear daughter and your family um it it shows our Thank our you. commitment to life being you know from conception until until death, and uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. So it's wonderful to to hear and, you know, of that hope. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, not every couple is comfortable going public, you know, with a miscarriage, uh, um, and 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 that doesn't mean they don't cherish the life and are pro life, but 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 I think you know in, in our case having a funeral not only helped with with closure on our part but uh but uh, like you said it's it's a real testimony that that even in the womb you know we're dealing with a, a a human being created in the image of God and you know so so miscarriages are 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 losses like any other and it's 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 uh neat right and salutary not only to grieve but to to remind people of the hope that we have in Jesus uh for these little ones Absolutely. And, and Pastor, as we, as we look at today, and as you just mentioned this, how about um, I'll begin in prayer and pray for your family and pray for your, uh, your daughter and son-in-law as they grieve as well. Can we start that way? Absolutely. Okay. And then begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we pray this day as we know that you are the Lord of all creation, and that as we hear today, that you are the one that laid aside your godliness to humble yourself to the point of death. And in that death, there was resurrection, exaltation. And we know that whether we are in the womb or whether we are um, 90 years old, that each life is precious to you, that as you died and rose, that we have the hope 
whether we are in the womb um, or wherever we may be, that we in, in Christ will rise again. I pray for uh, Tom and, and his family, uh, for his daughter and for his son-in-law as they grieve. But also, Lord, I give you thanks for the faith that they have and for the grace that we have in you. As we study your, te- uh, your word this morning and look at Christ, uh, we are reminded once again of all of our righteousness is in your hand. And in, as you humbled yourself, we are the ones who receive that gift. Bless our time and study this morning in your son's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, like I said, thank you for uh, uh, being here. We've it's been it's been a few about two months since we've had you. But uh, looking at Philippians chapter two, it is a is a wonderful text. I mean, I'm excited to be able to look at this because we get important an important distinction of Christ. I've heard this, and I want to get your thoughts too of his humiliation and exaltation. Any any thoughts on that as we look at that today? Yes, well, obviously, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, Christ humbling himself and becoming a servant. And as we get into the text, uh, I, I want to emphasize that that um, the, the humbling is not uh, uh, becoming human. Uh, that, that some people go that way, uh, hmm. but but being human is a glorious thing. Christ continues to be a human being. <laughs> uh, right. So, so right. becoming human in and of itself was not the humbling as though, ooh, I'm going to go into human flesh. That's kind of icky. Uh, no, 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 that, that's not um, what was going on here. Um, the humbling was that even though he was God in human flesh and had the whole power of the universe at his disposal, um, he humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. And when, when we get to that part of the text, I'm going to show how this actually echoes Isaiah 53 quite a bit. And then, of course, uh, we get the exaltation that, that, that uh, precisely because Jesus humbled himself in such a way, took the form of a servant, uh, God exalts him uh, about, uh, as a way of showing, not, not that uh, Jesus uh, uh, ceased to be God at any point, but, but, but the resurrection mm-hmm. is God's sign to the world that, hey, the one who hung on the cross was always God. It's just that he, he was not there for his, he didn't take advantage of his power. Um, uh, he was there as a servant. And so the exaltation is God's way of showing us, hey, he was God all along, uh, but he was the kind of God that, that chose to, to serve rather than, than use his power to, to, to dominate and dictate. That's a wonderful overview. And I, I want to make a distinction with you right now. Um, and I'm trying to think through this and make sure that I'm hearing you correctly and trying to think of my own uh, theology correctly. I, in this text, clearly he's talking about his humiliation of, of being humble to the point of going to the cross. Would we, were you saying that we wouldn't be able to say that he humbled himself by becoming flesh or I guess I, I'm trying to make that distinction. Are you you're saying just in this text, it's not talking about that or in general, we don't talk that way. Well, I would say even in general, I think, I think it's uh, no, no, don't misunderstand me. I realize in this fallen world, you know, our bodies are corrupted by sin and the like, uh, but, mm-hmm. but we need to be clear that, that Christ becoming human was not, in and of itself, uh, a, 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 a humiliating thing, as though being human is somehow um, uh, a bad thing. Um, uh, gotcha. Christ continues to re- to be human, and he he continues to give us his body and blood on the Lord's Supper. Uh, being oh, human okay. is a good and glorious thing, and and so the the humbling was not so much that that he uh, became human as that it was that as God in human flesh 
he did not use his power for his own advantage. And, I got gotcha. you. Okay. So, yeah. Yep. And that's an important thing for us to remember too, that Jesus still has a human body. And this is something that I think a lot of times we just don't talk about it. So I know I have a friend of mine who did a Bible study and just started with that point that Jesus still has. How many of you think Jesus still has a human body? And there were a number of people like, oh, no, he doesn't. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, we're going to have to go back to the creed here for a moment and and work through that. Because that's important as a sacramental church and at the same time of just resurrection realities that, you know, this is important. If he doesn't have a physical body, then what does that mean for our bodies? I mean, this is an important thing. And to uplift humanity, not as, oh, we're bad, God is good, and the body's bad, and then you get a Gnosticism. I mean, you can go a lot of ways. So that's a very helpful distinction, um, Pastor, this morning. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And one other thing we'll be getting into this, not only do we have the humiliation, exaltation theme here, but we also have this focus on Jesus being both example as well as Savior. Um, oh, and and, and yeah. sometimes we can fall into the ditch on either extreme. It's like, oh, Jesus, he's only our Savior, but not our example, as though there, there's nothing about Jesus' life that we can uh, use to, to emulate. But then we can definitely fall in the other extreme where Jesus is only our example, as though uh, salvation is, is based on us being like Jesus and, and following his rules and his example. No, uh, here Paul, as you will see, begins by, by showing that, yes, Jesus is our example. We should imitate him in our relationships with each other. But then the basis for that is that Jesus is our Savior. Uh, he's our servant. He's the one that has redeemed us so that we can uh, see him as our example. So the, 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 it's a both end rather than an either or. There's a lot in this text. So I'm going to do this uh, this morning, Pastor Eckstein, is I'm going to read the 11 verses first, and then we will get to go break it down verse by verse or a few verses at a time, because it is such wonderful language. I encourage our listeners to really just take in these words as you hear them, because as, as Pastor Eckstein has said so well, there's a lot here, but there's a lot of grace to receive. So for these 11 verses, let's hear the word. So Paul writes, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, Pastor, as we go through these verses again, um, what are do you have any background or thematic, other thematic ideas before we dig in? Um, well, not really. I, uh, uh, only that at, at this stage in uh, Philippians, you know, Paul has just uh, finished Philippians one. 
where, uh, you know, he's talking about the fact, you know, the, the whole to live is Christ, to die is gain. But, mm. but then he ends uh, Philippians 1, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So, so here we see that for Paul, uh, part of the Christian life is being, will, being willing uh, to suffer for the sake of of being a servant to others. Um, uh, love by definition means sacrifice. And, and uh, of course, the ultimate uh, uh, sign of that is what Jesus did for us and his sacrifice. But, but I think that whole point that is now leading into this chapter saying, okay, now that I've talked about the privilege of suffering as we live for Christ, what does that look like? Well, what it looks like is being willing to give of yourself for the benefit of others. And he's and he's living that out because he is in jail when he writes this. Uh, he speaks about the suffering and the tension of you know I'd like to be with Jesus, but also God still has me here, which will be great fruit for you. Is kind of is how he speaks to the Philippians, and so he definitely is not speaking from an outsider like, well, you guys have to suffer. By the way, I'm not. No, he's I am suffering, and let me tell you about what this Christian life actually looks like. Exactly. So let's move on. Let's go verses 1 through 2 as Paul speaks to the Philippians. So here it is again. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. So he begins with encouragement and other words. Where is Paul leading the Philippians? Well, you know, first of all, he says, if there's any encouragement, love, he's not questioning whether there is or not. He's just saying, hey, obviously there is. Obviously there is. And so um, he says, if we have all this, uh, if we have this encouragement and love in Christ, then, then the result of that uh, in our life, because if we have unity and encouragement and love uh, in Christ with God, then that translates to us also uh, uh, having uh, a loving relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, with whom uh, we are united in Christ and, and one body. So uh, uh, the, the fact that we are unified with God in Christ through the Spirit means, hey, we're also one with each other. And, and what does that look like? Um, and first of all, Paul says it means, you know, having uh, the same mind uh, mm. also um, you know, uh, having, uh, you know, one mind. And of course, um, what this means is that we have one mind in the sense that we all uh, share a common agreement in God's word. Uh, it, it doesn't mean, hey, let, let's all agree to disagree, or let's all have a, a common mind, whether or not that agrees with scripture. No, no, no what, what Paul is talking about, you know, having a uh, a common confession of faith here. And he says, uh, so so uh, r- rather than viewing our relationship with God as this individualistic thing, you know, me and my Jesus, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. here we mm-hmm. see that, that being united with God in Christ through the Spirit means that God calls us to have a, a, a common confession. We say the same thing um, back to God together. And, and, uh, and it's the result of that, uh, uh, sharing that same uh, wonderful gospel, that word of God, that, that we also have a, a similar joy and a similar love, because it's all shaped uh, by the word of God and what he's done for us. 
And that is a, I encourage our listeners to think about this when you do worship with your congregation, how how amazing it is that when you do gather and you confess the creed or you, you confess your sins and receive forgiveness, and obviously you go for the, receive the body and blood of Christ, is is that wonderful reality that we are um, together in in this, not if, as you said, but this is reality. There's encouragement in Christ there. There is comfort from love. There is obviously participation in the spirit and affection and sympathy and all of those things that are happening when you are with your fellow believers. And, and as you said, this isn't just a me and Jesus thing, that this letter was written to a church. <laughs> this yeah. was not written to yeah. an individual, even though some letters are, but that's a different context is that it's to the church to show of the blessings that are happening within this church, encouragement, comfort, participation, affection, and sympathy. Other, other thoughts on these two verses? Well, I think this is so important, especially in our culture, where, where you hear a lot of people talk about how, well, I'm spiritual, not religious. you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, we, we could break that down in a number of ways. But one problem with that is that usually when people say that, uh, they're big on having their own little private religion. You know, it's like, I I don't need to be part of a collective organized congregation. I just have my own little, you know, um, a special relationship with God that's unique to me, you know, and, and here we see Paul says, no, 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 this is not how it works. (laughs) When you're united with God, you become part of a family, you become part of a body of believers. And and I know that can be a challenge, uh, since we're still sinners, um, we're guilty of often sinning against each other, which is why Paul goes on not only to talk about um, what we should and should not do as a body in Christ, you know, the law. But then he goes on to give a, the solution to our, our sin problems, uh, Jesus, the servant. And it, it's because of what he's done for us that we can um, not only be forgiven by God, but forgive one another and then strive to, to have the kind of unity and love uh, and, and joy with one another that we were intended to have. But but one thing that's so big in Scripture, Brady, is that, that um, th- this whole idea of being a, a Lone Ranger Christian, uh, that you don't find that in Scripture. We're, we're part of mm. a family. We're, we're part of a body. And one thing, I, I was looking at verse 2, and I, I, I kind of struggle with it a little bit, and I've heard different uh, analysis of this. I want your thoughts. Is, you know, he talks about complete my joy by being of the same mind. And the first thought I had when I read this is it's like, is, is he saying like be on your best behavior or is there something different? How would you describe this? Oh, well, the way I've always understood this is that we, we should, um, it doesn't mean that we all have to have the same opinions about everything because there, there, there are matters, you know, uh, 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 that we can uh, disagree on that have nothing to do with the Word of God. Uh, but I think what he's ultimately saying here is is that we, we need to, to have unity in the Word of God. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, we, we should not have our own factional beliefs about God and Jesus, but, but find unity in, in the common teaching of Christ and, and be of the same mind in that regard. So I, I think, you know, uh, here, and, and this, this still, now, uh, have we ever uh, reached that imperfection uh, in the history of the Christian church? No, because <laughs> th- there's, <laughs> th- th- there's always false teaching uh, and I always point this out, it's not the truth of Scripture, the truth, it's not the truth of God that causes division, it's false teaching that causes mm-hmm. division. And, and so we're always at work striving to be of the same mind. Uh, we're constantly uh, 
we're constantly engaging in reformation, so to speak, uh, allowing the Word of God to to show us the truth so that we can be uh, constantly, and this is true for every generation. Every generation has to fight against the lies of the evil one and false teaching so that we can be of the same mind and strive to, to confess the same thing. And, and uh, as you see in many of Paul's letters, uh, the, the various congregations were dealing with false teaching that was causing division. And so the goal is to, to allow the, the teaching of Christ to give us the same mind together so we have unity in that. And this is important as we look at the next two verses, because uh, there is a reality that when we're in the same mind of saying we have the same confession of faith, that we believe in the scriptures and we put ourselves under the scriptures, that we're able to get the next two verses and say, okay, this is how this looks. This is what you lay aside as a follower of Christ, as you lay aside as a child of God. You lay these things aside, but if you aren't of the same mind or you don't put yourself under the word of God, you're not going to be able to think about laying aside anything because you want to win the war. You want to win the battle. <laughs> you want to get exactly. your own way. And and this is a very profound thing that I learned from a book called Built on the Rock by a man by the name of Ted Kober. And he speaks specifically about how congregations are to be in the word, to be prepared for when there is conflict, when there is disagreement, that people put themselves under the word of God. And from yeah. there, you're able to move forward only by Christ and his grace. Yes. Well, and you he, just think about how Paul deals with, with this in other uh, situations. In 1 Corinthians, part of the mm-hmm. problem there was you had some Christians that justified, you know, ignoring weak Christians and even leading them astray uh, because false teaching had, had led them to have a, a worldly view of love that didn't uh, harmonize with, with Christ. And and so uh, uh, that's a good example of where, where Paul has to use the Word of God to combat false teaching, because that false teaching was keeping Christians from loving one another as they ought. Wow. I think this would be a fascinating way to look through all the epistles. Can't do it right now, but all the epistles is what is the problem he is um, addressing and what are the situations that happen there, and how does he apply it, which is obviously the Word of God and pointing people back to Christ. So let's move on to do verses 3 and 4. We have about five minutes before our break, so let's do 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Each one, each one, each of you look not only to his own desires, interests, excuse me, but also to the interest of others. That's a pretty high calling here. He talks about humility, looking to others above yourself. How is he pulling this together? What is he asking them to do? Well, you know, you think about it in the world from a worldly point of view. You know, our motivation, it's not that people in the world don't serve others and love others. But but it's it's that there's always a selfish motivation behind it, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Uh, um, yeah, and and here Paul is saying no, uh, you know, our love for one another is not about what what do I get out of it, you know, how is this going to benefit me? But but because when you think about it, what did, what did Christ get out of his uh, sacrifice for us? I mean, you know, uh, 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 coming into this world to be our savior was was all about us and and Jesus already had everything what 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 was he going to get out of it but but it was pure <laughs> service pure pure giving and i think that's what paul is getting at here um as christians we because we still have a sinful nature and live in the world it's it it can be easy, so easy for us that we don't even realize that we bring that worldly idea 
of love into the Christian church. And before we know it, we, we might even be trying to do good things, but for sinful, selfish reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and so we just need to take a hard look at ourselves every day and, and be aware of our motives. You know, Paul mentions them here. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. Well, I don't know about you, Brady, but I, I'm constantly catching myself uh, having wrong motives, even for doing good things. And, and so we need to, 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 to live in constant repentance. It's like, God, uh, this attitude I have right now, this motivation I have right now, it's not good. Forgive me. Uh, help me to be like Christ. You know, help me to, to think of others as better than myself, which is an ongoing battle this side of heaven, because that does not come naturally for the old Adam. Uh, the old Adam, it's all about me. It is. And that's where, you know, you get some of your, like playing on the offensive line and and high school football. I mean, you get that mentality and you kind of insert it into other things, you know, like, I mean, the reality is you can't count, you can't count the significance of others when you're, you know, you're playing offensive line and they're going to get to your quarterback. No, you have to take them down. I mean, that's kind of the way it goes. And sometimes we take that mentality into life and, and, and not to say people are tackling each other or something, but just, we we have to always realize that as a Christian, it's not like playing football. It is it is the reality that it's humility, it's humbling yourselves before the Lord. Um, and I found this interesting as I was looking at this version of humility. And you look at First Peter five. It says, "Humble yourself, um, therefore, under the mighty hand of God." And it says, "Casting all of your anxieties upon Him who cares for you." And I was thinking yeah. about that, how that's where it begins is us giving it to God, saying, Lord, help me. And at the same time, there, the Holy Spirit will lead us. And the example of Christ, as we're going to talk about, points us to how we we do this. This is who we are, and he's going to help us through. We have about a minute yeah. left here. Last thoughts on these verses? Yeah, well, I think another thing is just we have to constantly keep this before us, not only ourselves as individuals, but collectively as a congregation. Because when you think uh, about how many of our voters meetings go, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the devil loves to have a heyday with those where in many cases, our voters meetings end up being divided between us and them, you know, and, and it be, it, 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 we, we end up having these battles between power struggles rather than coming together and humbling ourselves before Christ and praying together and, and actually asking God help us to see each other as better than ourselves and, 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 and try to work out our differences in humility rather than, you know, let's have a power play and see who can get the majority vote, you know, and, and that really mm-hmm. plays to our sinful nature. It does. And this, it comes down to, uh, uh, in, in Dr. Lenski's commentary on this, he, he points us to Matthew six thirty three. you know, who are you trying to please and what are we seeking? And as, as Jesus tells us, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And that's what comes down to humility that points us clearly to Christ and away from ourselves. But right now we need to take a break. So we are studying Philippians chapter two with Pastor Tom Eckstein, and we'll be right back.
Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss identity politics with Dr. Joshua Mitchell, and we'll talk with Pastor John Leach about helping Mormons understand the biblical way of salvation. And on Friday, we'll have virology expert Dr. Nicholas Vogelmuth respond to your questions on COVID-19, the pandemic, and COVID vaccines. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the goodness of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Peace Lutheran Church at 8 a.m. and Hope Lutheran Church at 1045, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 930. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio, or anytime on KFUO.org, or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. And welcome back. We are studying Philippians chapter 2 with Pastor Tom Eckstein from North Dakota. And Pastor, I have a a question I've been asking a lot of uh, different guests, and this might come out of left field for you, but I know you used to live in St. Louis. That was a while ago, a long while ago. Yeah. However, um, I've been asking all the local pastors in St. Louis what their favorite restaurant is in St. Louis. Now, it's been a while, but what was your favorite (laughs) restaurant when you lived there? Oh, I had several. In fact, I don't even know if some of them are open anymore. Um, <laughs> there was this one uh, little little Chinese place just down, a takeout Chinese place just down the street from where we lived in Maryland Heights. I can't even remember the name of it. Uh, but they had the, the, the greatest, cheapest. Oh, it was called, no, I remember now. It was called Walk Express. Walk the Express. The Walk Express. <laughs> yeah, and they had the uh, yeah. I'm giving them free uh, plug here, but they had the greatest, most inexpensive takeout Chinese food. Uh, you know, and I love Chinese food, and 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 so that's one place I I, I miss. I wish they would relocate here to Jamestown, but uh, but um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I also enjoy going down to the hill. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, trying out various uh, Italian uh, restaurants there. Um, uh, loved that. And then uh, one other place uh, that I just enjoyed going to because it was fun. Um, uh, uh, but uh, the uh, it was called the Spaghetti Factory, downtown St. Louis. Absolutely. Um, yep, absolutely. You can tell I, 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 I like Italian food, so. But, there you uh, go. There I, mean, you I, could, go. I, I could talk all day because I love food, but I, I don't want to get us off track here. So <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Plus, I'm going to get hungry here real quickly. But it's a it's a fun thing. I always I love going to St. Louis, and and uh, it just kind of gives me a list of places to go. So right now I have a problem. I have about 12 places I could go, and I'm not going to have a couple weeks to be down in St. Louis. So, anyways, that's kind of fun. Well, let's get back to the text. Back on the farm here, as we will. We've gone through the first four verses. And the next six or seven verses are very important theologically. So I want to take time with those. I want to make sure that the first four um, are, are, we got the good framework of where we need to go. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what he's telling us to do, to be humble, 
same mind, same doctrine, moving forward with the same Jesus. So any of the thoughts on the first four verses, Pastor? Uh, only thing is, uh, uh, even though Paul is going to talk about how Jesus should be our example, uh, as we're going to see, the only way he can be our example is if he is first and foremost our servant. Uh, right. Unless he redeems us from ourselves, forgives our sins, and gives us a new hearts and minds, uh, trying to be like him ain't going to happen. So. That's a good start. You're exactly right. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do verses 5 through 8, and we'll dig in. Verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So I'd like to start with verse 5. You know, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What is he talking about? Have this mind as we have in Christ. What is he saying? Well, again, the, the mind among ourselves is the mind of, of being a servant, uh, mm -hmm. considering others better than yourselves. Um, again, loving others, not in a selfish way, Why? Am, what am I going to get out of this? How is this going to benefit me? But it's like, how, how can I love and, and benefit others? Because that's really what Christ is all about. Like I said, you know, what did he get out of it? He already had everything. So so his life of love was all about total giving. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and one other comment I want to make, and this will help us go forward, is at the very end of verse 5, Christ Jesus, and then you have the reference, who? Now, I, I, an important distinction that's going to be made here is when, when he's talking about Christ Jesus, is he talking about Jesus before the Incarnation or after the Incarnation? And I think that distinction is important because if we're saying it's Jesus before the Incarnation, then the way you can read this is that his humility was becoming human. But I would argue that Jesus is, Paul, the who is, the referent of who Christ Jesus is referring to uh, God in human flesh, meaning we're already talking about Jesus as God in human flesh. So what is the humiliation here? It's it's not coming to this world and becoming human. It's as God in human flesh, not using his power to his own advantage, but pouring himself out. In fact, uh, in, in verse 7, it's often translated as you know, uh, emptying himself in a very literal sense, mm -hmm. uh, the Greek mm -hmm. word. But what's interesting is that in, in verse 7, he not only says uh, emptying himself, but taking the form of a servant. And it's important to understand that because some false teachers have misread that verse as though when Jesus says he emptied himself, it's like, okay, he became less than God. Well, no, that's not what Paul's talking about at all here. Right. Um, what he's talking right. about is that even though he was fully God, he gave himself. He poured himself out. And what's interesting is that's an allusion, I, I'm convinced, to Isaiah 53, 12, where, where not only does the whole chapter talk about the servant, okay, the suffering mm -hmm. servant, uh, but it, uh, Isaiah, verse 12, uh, Isaiah 53, verse 12, talks about the servant pouring himself out, emptying himself mm -hmm. by uh, becoming a servant and bearing the sins of others. And so uh, I, I can't help but think that Paul is, is thinking of Isaiah 53 here, when he's thinking of, of how, how did Jesus humble himself and become a servant? Uh, by, by 
giving himself out for others, even to the point of bearing their sins and, and taking them to the cross. That That is very helpful uh, to look at the idea of a servant, have this mind of servanthood, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, which which obviously yeah. connects us also to this understanding of the humiliation came in the cross, you know, not just that he was a baby, but that he came in the cross. And then who, as you said so well, in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, it, it, this, this is really interesting because I remember a seminary, uh, we didn't go too far with this analogy, but it, we compared it to Superman. <laughs> you got to be careful. You don't want to go too far with this. But just understanding of it was, it, was, it, was, it was Superman who had all the power, but he chose to not use it. And Jesus does this all the time throughout the scriptures. And specifically right. in our text today is that, yes, he's equal with God. Yes, he is right there, but he did not use it for the sake of showing his power, but he used that power for the sake of service to his neighbor, service to us and service to all of us. Because, you know, like you said, what does he get out of this besides right. pain and agony and death? I mean, he doesn't get anything out of this, but it's all pure service as a son of man came to serve. Any thoughts on the yeah, Superman that- analogy? <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, you can only pull that analogy so far. But, but uh, the only thing is there's no kryptonite that can take Jesus out. You know, that, <laughs> that's, that's true, a, too. That's a good thing. Yeah. Oh, and, man. You know, like yeah. I, point out, I, I always point out to my members, uh, it's not like people forced Jesus to go to the cross. He could have right. wiped them out with one word. He went there willingly. So mm. so there's no kryptonite for Jesus. Uh, all his weakness is is given willingly. He willingly humbles himself. No one forces him into that position. And I think that's important for us to remember. I heard us say, you know, sin put, our sin put him on the cross and his love kept him there. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I, I also, you pointed out his miracles. You know, Jesus did do many wonderful things with his divine power, but it's interesting. It was always for others. He never used his power for himself. Um, you know, uh, it, it was either to serve others or to give a sign that he was the promised Savior, uh, who was ultimately going to save us by going to the cross. But it was never to benefit himself. He never used his power to benefit himself. And uh, I, I think that that says a lot about the, the kind of God that we have. You know, it's interesting. I was looking through the confessions on this, and these verses 7 and 8, when it speaks, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He he speaks um, a lot about the confessions, specifically in the formula, second sec, solid decoration, talks about him laying aside his his majesty, you know, saying he's had this powerful majesty throughout he lays it aside and i thought that was very helpful to that he doesn't he doesn't get rid of it like you said he's not right. he's not sub sub godly or something but he willingly lays it aside uh it talks about this in the person of christ specifically and lays it aside so that he can be a servant and i think that language yeah. is important for us to to always make very clear as we look at scripture is that it, he 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 it doesn't, his essence or who he is doesn't change, but what he chooses to do with that power does. Uh, any any thoughts yeah. on that distinction for the person of Christ? No, I think that's so important. Again, not only to stress the fact that 
being human itself wasn't the humiliation because being human is a good thing, but it was about that, that even though he was God in human flesh, we think of uh, John, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Even though he was God in human flesh, he, he laid aside his divine power in the sense that he did not use it for his own advantage. I, I had, I remember uh, when I was at seminary, I had one professor who translated, you know, the, where it says here, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Well, I had one professor said it would be better to translate it. He did not see equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I'm God, uh, I'm Almighty God, but I, I, it's not about me. I'm not going to make this about me. I, I'm going to lay aside my power, and I'm willing to, to suffer all, even the cross, for the sake of, of loving others and serving others. And and it's interesting for me, too, to think about is in this humiliation piece. And I really want to really make sure we're on the same page, not us, but like in general, that we break this down. Last night, we went through the Passion account um, during our Lenten series. We're going through John 18 and 19 uh, just to go through it slowly. Because, you know, for our church, we always read it on Good Friday, but we've never really gone through it slowly and, and think about all the dynamics. But you think about all the, you know, to to humble himself, to lay this aside, meant that he had to go through flogging. Uh, he had to go through, yep. uh, uh, excuse me for one second, is a, a flogging. He had to be, he got struck. He was, he was mocked, you know, hail the king of the Jews. They had the words right, but there's no faith there. That was an interesting dynamic too. And then to go yeah. to the point of criticism, I was thinking about this, that he receives an undue criticism, because you know how it is, for me at least, and I think for many of us, if you receive criticism for something, especially something you do, you love, that doesn't go out of the mind quickly. <laughs> you know, that sticks around. Right. And so yeah. he received all of those things. He emptied himself by basically taking all those things upon himself that he did not deserve, but yet he does it willingly. He does it for you and for me. These are the things that he that he took upon himself as he just, you know, had all the power to get rid of it, but yet he didn't. Um, very humbling for me to think about all that our Lord has done. Yes, absolutely. And when you think about it, uh, the, the very thing that the, the Jewish leaders couldn't get, you know, when Jesus is on the cross and they say, hey, he saved others, but he can't save himself. You know, mm-hmm. what, what's in their minds? They're, they don't understand God's power or his love. Why? Because they're thinking, if this guy is really God, why wouldn't he save himself? Why wouldn't he come down? So, so in their minds, the very fact that he's on the cross is, is proof positive that he's not God. But the only reason they think that way is they don't understand God or his love. Absolutely. Yeah. And I found it interesting, too, in the, uh, in the formula, the righteousness of faith, it talks about how in verse 8, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, is that ultimately what happens in God's humility by going to the cross is that what, he, what it accomplishes is our forgiveness of sins, that he merited for us the forgiveness of sins, which is hard for us to understand because a merit, how we gain things, is by doing, but he gained by submitting and, and, and dying. That's an interesting yeah. dynamic. Any any thoughts on that? Yes, uh, you know that that's why you know it's so important that we don't put Good Friday off against Easter, as though Good Friday, oh Jesus is losing and that's bad, and then oh yeah, he comes out on top on Easter. No, no, the the, the whole point Paul is making here is that 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 the ultimate essence of God's love 
and victory is what he's doing for us on the cross. And and the resurrection is it's not like it's it's overturning Good Friday so much as it's saying, hey, see, I told you what what Jesus was doing on Good Friday was God's plan all along. And here's the proof. He's risen. <laughs> In other words, yeah, right. like I said earlier, it wasn't like, oh, we forced Jesus to go to the cross and then God made up for that big mistake by rising, raising him from the dead. No, God raises Jesus from the dead so that everyone can know, hey. He was God all along, and he was there intentionally and willingly for us. <laughs> and this is, yeah, exactly right, because it is something that we quickly lose sight that this was part of the plan. I mean, this is why when uh, when Peter says, let it not be, you know, Jesus says exactly right. the plan, the plan of the victory. He says, let it not be. And that's why Jesus calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you know, just you're not yeah. you're not having the mind of God. You're having the mind of man. And so it's hard for us to understand, but it's vitally important that we see all of it put together into one victorious plan that our Lord has for each one of us. So looking at the humiliation of Christ. Last thoughts. I mean, the humiliation of Christ is a very important piece of this. Um, and I, I guess I also want to get to the example and the Savior piece as well. So any distinctions you want to make with those that we've talked about? Between example and Savior? Um, yeah. Just that it's this, yeah. Even though it's both, uh, I think it's important that we remember that it, the primary thing, though, is that Jesus is Savior. Um, mm-hmm. if, if he's not that for us, you know, the, the example um, doesn't mean anything. And especially since that there was a time in the his, times in the history of the church where Christ was seen primarily as example, as, as like a new Moses who gave us even bigger laws than Moses so that by following them, we could, you know, uh, merit our way into heaven and climb the ladder up. And, and that, that's a totally uh, false understanding of what it means to follow Christ as our example. Um, and so we need to understand that, that the for us, what Jesus did for us on the cross and, and, and his victory over the grave is primary. And it's on that foundation that we can then uh, follow Christ as our example, striving to love others as he has loved us. And like you said, humility is something we're called to do. And you're like, well, how can I be humble? Well, let's look at Jesus and the way that he humbled himself, even to the point of the cross. And that's something good for us to remember that basically, uh, who are you looking to please or who are you desiring to please? Obviously, uh, see he first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's move on to Christ's exaltation and Christ's... um, Uh, as our Savior, and and pointing us the name above all names. Verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. you find yourself almost feeling like you're going up and down a mountain with emotions almost, is that five through eight, you're feeling this definitely this humble spirit, but then there's almost like a victorious, you're on the top of the mountain in verses nine through 11. What is Paul telling us in these verses? Well, I I think it's important to remember that even Jesus' exaltation is for us. Why do I say that? It's not like Paul is saying, okay, Jesus was willing to be obedient, so God's going to reward him with a resurrection. Well, uh, no, it it was, uh, uh, Jesus is God. Uh, It's not like uh, he needed to be rewarded for anything. What reward (laughs) does he need? And and so why is he being exalted? 
uh, not because uh, he needed help, as though death had defeated him. Death never defeated him. Uh, Mm -hmm. The reason he was exalted and given the name that was above every name is so that in the name of Jesus, we can be forgiven. In other words, mm-hmm. God lifts him up and exalts him so that we sinners can look to him, uh, the risen one who died for us. Um, he is the one, in his, like Peter says, uh, salvation comes in no other name, you know, Acts 4.12. Right. And, yeah. and so God lifts up Jesus, not because Jesus needs to be exalted, as though he has needs some ego trip, but, but God exalts Jesus uh, and, and, and brings out the message, he is risen, so, so that all the world can fall on their knees and find salvation in the one who died and rose for us. And that that is, you find this uh, distinction that we always have to keep uh, keep very clear. So forgiveness comes by the cross, and forgiveness comes by the empty tomb. You know, that we sometimes will make the separation. Forgiveness came there. We hope a resurrection comes there. Well, it's both. I mean, we have both of those things flowing through the Good Friday and the Easter Sunday morning, which obviously, as pastors, we're looking forward to this time of, of, of Good Friday and we're looking forward to Easter and all that comes together in that plan. Now, in fact, I think of when Jesus uh, when Jesus rose and appeared to his disciples in John's Gospels. You know, he he says, "Peace be with you," and then shows them his hand and his side. You know, the scars. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I think it's, it, 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 his way of reminding them, "Yeah, I'm risen, but I don't want you to forget what I did for you." You know, uh, it, it, it's it, it, it's all one package. Now, one thing I want to address here: we have about eight minutes left. Is when it speaks that. Bestow it on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Is this understanding of the distinction and the uh, the how, how do you, how do you say this the the name that is above every name dynamic of the Lord of the Triune God. And I think about this in our culture, and Paul knew this too, when he would go into these cities, he knew that there were, you know, Ephesus, they talk about the huge uh, statue and the, the huge temple to Artemis, and you have all these names that look like they're above that name. And we see it in our own culture, because I went for a walk the other day, and there's a huge flag in someone's house that said, coexist, which... At first glance, you're like, well, that makes sense. I mean, we should be able to live as Americans, as a community, as neighbors, with people of different ideologies and different faiths. But if it's saying that basically it's all the same, well, that's wrong. (laughs) That's not exactly right. So when he says name above all names, uh, I'm reminded of um, Elijah and the Baal prophets, 1 Kings 18. Other thoughts on how you see this at play in the world, and why is it important for us to be able to say that the name of Jesus is above all other names, and the name of the Lord is above, above all other names? Why is this important for us today? Well, uh, I think it's important to understand, and, and, and I'm not saying that uh, the, the Greek word that we translate as Lord is curious, and, and granted, in some contexts, it can refer to an earthly leader and things like that. But I think here, Paul is making a huge theological point, and, and to understand that, you need to know that the Jews of Jesus' day uh, used the Greek word curious to translate the holy name of God, Yahweh, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think what Paul is getting at here when he says that Jesus is Yahweh, or Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, he's really seeing the, the ultimate revelation that's going to wow everyone, especially the Jews, is that Jesus is Yahweh. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 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 you know, in other words, the whole Old Testament points ahead 
to, to Jesus being the revelation of the Father in the Spirit. Um, the, 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 the God who appeared um, uh, to Moses as I am uh, in the bush, that's Jesus here. Uh, th- th- this is, uh, you know, uh, w- yes, we have the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but Jesus is the revelation of, of God to us in the spirit. And, and so, uh, you know, uh, uh, even though we have one God who Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, the, 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 the whole of Scripture is intentionally Christological. Uh, that's why Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. And so that's one reason the Father, you know, makes, gives Jesus the name that is above all names. Jesus uh, ultimately represents the triune God to us and brings us into relationship with the Trinity. And that points us to John 1, 18. No one has seen God, the only God who is at the Father's hand, but he has made him known, uh, that Jesus has made him known. And then that's a, an important distinction. I like how you're saying this about that Jesus is Lord and pointing us back to the I am and the Yahweh. Now, in our culture... We would... so... Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, in our culture, we definitely have a situation where we live in a pluralistic understanding and not just oh, like my yeah. neighbor's Muslim or my neighbor's Jewish, but we're talking like no faith kind of faith. As you said, I'm spiritual, but not religious, or I'm against uh, organized religion. That's what we're dealing with is faith. That's not necessarily in a God, but in a bunch of different like ideologies, almost more than anything. It's obviously God's, but it's, they don't see it as God. So this is why it's important too. Were you going to add on to that? No, that's actually, that's exactly where I was going to go. I'm glad you brought that up. Good. uh, um, We live in a culture where people, granted, some people are outright atheists, but there's a lot of people that just say, hey, as long as you believe in God, you know, whoever he, she, or it is to you, that's what's important. Um, Mm -hmm. But no, here Paul says, no, there's only one way to know the true God, and that's in Christ period. Uh, There's no other God apart uh, uh, from him. And uh, this is so significant because we we, we live in a culture where, where, you know, uh, we have this sort of generic view of spirituality. God can be whoever you want him to be, what your experience is. And and Paul says, no. In fact, uh, just because people talk about the fact that they have a relationship with God doesn't mean that they do. The reason I say that is they think of John chapter 8, where Jesus is talking with the Jews. And of course, they say, hey, God is our father. We believe in God. And mm. boy, Jesus has the audacity to say, no, you don't. Your father's the devil. <laughs> Why does he say that? Because he said, you know, he says, if the only way you can really believe in God is to believe in me. You know, if you don't believe in me, then whatever God you have is in God. It's as simple as that. Now, that's not a very popular message today, but that's the truth. And one one pastor had told me just the understanding of, okay, so you don't want Jesus as the Savior, so what what else do you have? Like, what is, what's better than a God who's willing to humble himself to the point of the perfect servanthood, which is to die for you and give you full forgiveness of sins without you having to do a thing? Tell me what God you want that does better than that. And I thought that was a good yeah. argument for us to be able to hopefully have a good conversation with people as we look at our lives. But pastor, as we look at about another minute here, a uh, minute and a half, how would you sum up these verses in Philippians chapter two, very powerful verses of Philippians? Well, I, I think I, if I would just sum it up, the, 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 Paul was saying, look at who Jesus is and what he has done for you. 
Um, uh, in him, you are reconciled to God. You're, you have everything, just like Jesus already had everything and didn't need anything. Now in Christ, we have everything we need. And so now that we have everything we need in Christ, like him, we can give ourselves away. You know, um, we don't have to be these sinners who are saying, you know, how am I, how, how am I going to get what's coming to me? But, but in Christ, mm-hmm. we're free to be servants. That's, that's really what Paul is saying here. Well, as he says it here this morning, be humble, um, do nothing from rivalry or conceit or see yourselves as more significant than others, because it is the Lord who has given us everything through Christ, his humiliation, and also gives us the benefits of his exaltation. Pastor Tom Eckstein of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota, helping us today with Philippians chapter 2. Pastor Eckstein, thank you for being our guest. Yeah, my privilege. Thanks, Brady. I tell you what, uh, next time we'll meet at Woke Express in Maryland Heights. How about that? Oh, I think I lost him. Anyways, saints of our Lord is our Lord Jesus who has emptied himself, taken the form of a servant, humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death and death on the cross. And this is something that he has done for you. And for us, we are to be humble. We are to serve and do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, who is a name above all names. This morning, it is a joy to be with you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. Music.